That's a great question, Anthony. A patient with positive HPV may not show anything. They would look exactly the same internally. Like if you do an examination, there would not be anything abnormal about it. A patient with cancer can have, of course, like difficulty swelling. They can have this sense of foreign body. They can have, there are so many other things. And of course, there may be a visible lesion. But one thing that is really- That was Dr. Muhammad Kamal. And you've landed on the Me and My Health Up podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Harcher. I'm a clinical nutritionist and lifestyle medicine specialist. The purpose of this podcast is to enhance and enlighten your well-being. And today, we have Dr. Muhammad Kamal, who is a pathologist. He owns a pathology lab called Omni Pathology, and he was one of the pioneers in terms of the COVID PCR testing. Yes, he developed the test. He was one of the leading pioneers in the US, and we have him on the show today to share some insight around oral pharyngeal cancer and the links to the HPV, the human papilloma virus, and it's a sexually transmitted virus. And so we're going to be discussing uh, who's susceptible uh, to getting this, and it's on the uptake, it's on the uptick. So it's on the rise, and we really want to make sure we get the education out there to stop the rising rates of oral pharyngeal cancer due to the links to the HPV virus. And we have Dr. Muhammad Kamal sharing his insights and who's susceptible and what we can do about it. So without much further ado, I'd love to welcome you into the discussion I'm having with Dr. Muhammad Kamal. Welcome, Dr. Muhammad Kamal. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Anthony. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for coming on the Me and My Health Up podcast, and we really look forward to you enhancing and enlightening the well-being of our listeners today on oral pharyngeal cancer and the links to HPV, just to really bring them up to speed with the advancements around screening and what they could do to make sure that they're proactive in the sense that they're getting ahead and um, not leaving it too late. So we're certainly going to cover the, you know, I guess who's most susceptible and should be, you know, taking, I guess, advanced action towards getting this screen done. Uh, but before we get into that, Dr. Kamal, I, I would really like to hear your backstory as to how you have arrived at ending up being a pathologist. Okay, excellent. I'm glad to be on your show and I'm really happy to share my story. So I, uh, I was born in Washington, D.C. I grew up in Egypt. I went to med school in Cairo University. After I finished, I came to the United States to pursue my medical career. Before I started my residency, I did some work in a clinical laboratory. I did some research on the medical diagnostics and medical devices, which made the choice for pathology much easier than what I intended when I was in med school. I wanted to be a cardiologist. And actually on that, my, uh, my older brother is an ophthalmologist. So uh, my mom became extremely disappointed that none of her son's is going to wear a stethoscope. One is <laughs> ophthalmologist and one is a pathologist, but she was eventually happy with our choices. When I finished pathology, I did a, a I mean, I finished my residency, I did a fellowship in GI pathology at UCLA. And after that, I took a few positions and I had some leadership roles in national laboratories. And at one point in 2009, I decided to start my own lab, Omnipathology. And I wanted to do that because I felt that I had a certain vision and a philosophy about laboratory medicine, and I wanted to serve patients in a specific way, particularly with the fact that pathologists are not in direct patient contact. We are behind the scenes 
So it becomes very easy for one to forget that we are still in the patient care service. And this is our area. And I felt, okay, this is what I want to do. I would have more control of the vision and mission and, and philosophy. So we built the lab. And as I, I, I when I built it, I said, I'm going to build it specimen by specimen. And that's exactly what we did. We started doing GI pathology, which is reviewing biopsies coming from endoscopy procedures, upper and lower endoscopy and colonoscopies. And we diagnosed cancer and we diagnosed, uh, you know, gastritis and, and other diseases. And then at one point, we wanted to expand the services to gynecologists. So we had to add additional testing that is done for STI, sexually transmitted infections. So we started getting into molecular testing. And from there, we started to grow into other things. And then COVID hit in 2020. And then we decided that we really didn't decide. We had no choice. There was shortage of testing. And as a high complexity laboratory, we knew that we could develop our own test and get emergency use authorization from the FDA. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, but I recall the day when I came to the lab on a Monday morning in early March, and I told my staff we're going to develop our own COVID test. And they looked at me as if I was just crazy. And I told them we have to do it because there is a need for it. And we, when we did this, we had our tagline was led by science, driven by service. And we never thought that this tagline is going to be as representative as the work that we have done. We, uh, we got together as a group of scientists. We developed this test. We were one of the first labs that submitted to the FDA for the emergency youth authorization. And um, we started serving the community. We started by serving our clients that were, they were shut down. They couldn't do any procedures. We told them we're going to test your patients and test your staff before the procedures. So we helped a lot of practices to open up. And then we started serving. We said we need to, to test schools. And we had a very good school program. So the schools in our area were being tested. The students were tested as teachers. And it became really a great story. Everybody in our organization was feeling extremely proud of what they do. And, um, and I think it was remarkable that we, I think it's a blessing that in a hard time like this, we were an organization, one, we didn't lay off anybody. Everybody was working because we knew we had the test. We knew we we're going to need people to do this. So we started hiring people. And then we were really fulfilled about our mission and life and our work and our practice. So that was really the test that I think kind of transformed us as an organization because it gave us confidence and we could do things. As the leader of, of the organization, I know that we need to be ready for the post-pandemic time. And because we had an HPV test that we were doing for cervical pap smears, I felt that the area that is not really being explored enough is HPV-related throat cancer. So we decided to start validating that test and we worked on it until we had a really good, robust test that today we have tested sensitivity is 95.2% specificity is 100%. And we started testing, offering it for patients because we feel that there is an area here that is not really addressed properly. Fantastic. So you go from pioneering the PCR test for the COVID and uh, now you're uh, going into pioneering the HPV test for the oral pharyngeal cancer. So just for the listeners' sake, can you just please uh, talk a bit, bit more about HPV just so that they're aware as to what it is and who's most susceptible who's, you know, and, and who should be 
tuning in as to, yes, you've got a screen that I need to go and do. Yes. Yeah. So I know your audience are in Australia. I know you also have audience all over the world. I apologize to the Australian audience that most of the data I will share with you is coming from the U.S. data from CDC. But I think in the developed world, they share a lot of these data and a lot of the trends. So HPV is the most common sexually transmitted infection in the United States. It is the virus that causes cervical cancer in, in women. It also causes anal cancer in men and women, and it causes HPV-related, HPV-related oropharyngeal cancer. The oropharynx uh, had historically been the cancer that develops that is caused by smoking. But in the last 20 to 30 years, the trend started to change where you're seeing less uh, cases that are HPV-related. And uh, Gradually, oropharyngeal cancer, HPV-related oropharyngeal cancer has been rising to the point that today in America, you have more men with HPV-related throat cancer than women with cervical cancer. The reason is cervical cancer has well-established screening guidelines. Every woman goes for pap smear. Pap smear sample is tested for HPV. There is a very well-defined, and if somebody is positive, there is a clear guideline on what to do with her. That is not the case in oropharyngeal cancer. So, and that is why it is rising because we don't have any guidelines. Nothing is being done for it. When when we looked at this, uh, came up with a few major points. One is cervical cancer, oropharyngeal cancer are very similar. They're both squamous cell carcinomas and they're both caused by HPV. HPV infection resolves on its own in the cervical canal and in the oropharynx. But you don't see anybody saying, I don't want to test cervical pap smear for HPV because it resolves on its own. What happens is persistent HPV infection is related to cancer development. And that is the case in both the cervical canal and the oropharyngeal area. So the idea is not to just test. And when you test an individual, for HPV in the throat and that person is positive, that doesn't mean that they have cancer. But what what it means is that this patient should be basically taken and focused on. This patient should be grouped in people that are at a higher risk than you retest. And if this person becomes identified as someone with persistent HPV infection, then we need to refer this patient to an ENT doctor. You could refer the patient to an ENT doctor before that. The ENT doctor will do an endoscopy. They will look at the area. If they don't see anything, they follow up the patient. And that is the chance to bring the patient back and trying to identify a precursor lesion. A precursor lesion is a lesion that has not become cancer or cancer in a very early stage. When you remove this lesion, you significantly improve the patient's survival. Because one, if it's dysplastic, which is the stage before the development of cancer, then that patient, you remove it with good margin, that patient will not have cancer and will continue to follow up with that patient. But if you remove cancer early, that's also good because most cases of oropharyngeal cancer today are presented by a positive lymph node, which is cancer that has gone out and it invaded a local lymph node. That is fairly late. So this is why we feel that it's really important to get the HPV tested because that is our chance 
for early cancer detection. And you mentioned the high-risk population. Can you uh, just expand on that? Sure. So HPV rate is higher in individuals that who have multiple oral uh, genital sexual partners. That is a this is a practice that leads to HPV infection. Now, one of the things to uh, help is is to practice safe sex and educating patients about these activities and about the risk that comes with with activities like that is going to be helpful. And if somebody is doing this, and this is the person also that needs to be tested for uh, oropharyngeal HPV, one of my clients does that routinely on their patients. And other things that could also increase the risk for HPV infection include reduced immunity. Somebody who is diabetic, somebody who had chemotherapy, somebody who has any acquired immune deficiency. Smokers are at a high risk of developing HPV because smoking has a local impact on the cells and on the immunity that can result in higher susceptibility to develop HPV infection. So all of these are risk factors that need to be discussed. So when we thought about the test and said who should do this test as far as healthcare provider, we think that dentists and dental hygienists have unparalleled access to patients' throats. The reason is if you wait for somebody to go to an ENT doctor, the people never visit an ENT doctor, and that becomes very difficult. And the primary care doctors should also be doing this, but primary care doctors will not do the thorough exam that a dentist could do or a dental hygienist. So today in America, if you go for your regular dental visit for cleaning, the dental hygienist would examine your mouth, examine your tongue, pull the tongue out, put it aside, and they look on both sides and they look in the back of the mouth and they palpate the neck and they basically palpate it because they want to see if there are any lymph nodes, any positive lymph nodes or any enlarged lymph nodes. This is a great opportunity for the conversation to start. We're doing this exam to look for oral and oropharyngeal cancer and to look for lymph nodes. And by the way, HPV-related oral cancer or oropharyngeal cancer is rising and HPV is a sexually transmitted disease, and that opens the conversation because dentists are not used to discussing, are not comfortable discussing sexual activities and behaviors and things like that. But this would be really a great opportunity for that conversation to start. Okay. And, and I agree. Go ahead. And I was just wondering, in terms of the listeners, what sort of signs and symptoms should they be looking out for in either themselves or their friends, their family members that could indicate that they may have HPV? Uh, that's a great question, Anthony. A patient with positive HPV may not show anything. They would look exactly the same internally. Like if you do an examination, there would not be anything abnormal about it. A patient with cancer can have, of course, like difficulty swelling. They can have this sense of foreign body. They can have, there's so many other things. And of course, there may be a visible lesion. But one thing that is really interesting about oropharyngeal cancer is that the vast majority of these cancers are seen on the tonsils and base of the tongue, but mainly the tonsils. And the reason uh, we see this a lot in the tonsils is because the tonsils have a very unique anatomic feature. There is something called tonsillar crypts, which are invaginations into the surface. Uh, these invaginations give access to the virus, to the basal layer which are the proliferating layers where cancer start. We look for high risk, 14 high risk HPV viruses. HPV has over 100 types, and there are so many, most of them are high risk. And HPV 16 is the one that is more 
uh, most commonly associated with oropharyngeal cancer. So there is a specific affinity of HPV16 to that basal layer, but it, it just happens that the tonsils, because of this feature and because also it has transitional epithelium, which is very similar to what we see in the cervical canal, the cancer develops in the transformations or transitional area. So all of this allows for cancer to happen in the tonsils, right? So when we are when we're looking for that, oropharynx is a is a large, fairly large area, but most cancer develops on the tonsils. And when you say the base of the tongue, are you referring to the top of the tongue? So the, the very back of it. The very back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of like, so you mentioned that those that are having unprotected oral sex, they're the ones that are highly susceptible to HPV, which then you said is pretty much like a silent a silent virus that you don't know you've got until some starts to really infiltrate, such as, you know, it becomes cancerous into the body and that's when the, you know, your, your lymph nodes will start to swell mm. and it becomes a bit more obvious. So those people that are, you know, regularly practising or having oral sex unprotected should be the ones that, you know, have this conversation with the dentist or doctor to get tested for HPV? Yes, it, it is the unprotected, but also the multiple partners. Multiple partners is a separate factor. So having multiple partners, but of course, you would assume that it would be a higher risk when it's multiple partners and it's unprotected. Okay. And, that- and, and, that, and that is the kind of behavior that could also trigger somebody who engages in, in multiple sexual partners, that they could be concerned about it and they could get tested because of that. And that actually happens in the genital area as well, that people get tested after certain sexual encounters. So especially if it's unprotected. So it is not an, un, it's not, it's, it's a reasonable approach to say that this is behavior should also trigger the patient to go and proactively try to get tested. And the good news actually is that HPV related oropharyngeal cancer has a better prognosis than the non HPV related cancer. So the oropharyngeal cancer that is not HPV related has a much worse prognosis. So detecting that early would really would mean a lot to the patient. And is there a particular age group that you're noticing in terms of the trend of the upward tick of people being, you know, reported with HPV cases and oral pharyngeal cases? Is there a particular age group that's you know, that's showing that they're more susceptible than others? The earlier data was uh, higher in their 60s, and then the newer data showing more people in their 40s, but men are affected more than women. Okay. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, it's so great that you're pioneering, you know, testing in this this space and educating out there, educating dentists and doctors, doctors and specialists in this area, the ENT specialist in particular. Uh, so yeah. it's really great. And you mentioned that you have a YouTube channel where you provide further education and insights around the latest in terms of developments in this area. Yes. Yeah, so I gave a lecture to the California Dental Association um, back in, I think it was in May. And uh, we, we put that whole lecture on, um, on the YouTube channel. And we wanted to speak to dentists because we felt that this is really a great opportunity for the dental and the medical community to work together. In dentistry today, there is an approach about the whole patient and the whole health and that how oral health is part of the overall health. Uh, so that approach, which is also looking for systemic diseases and its impact on the oral cavity and the oral health when it's impact on the systemic, the entire body. So we felt that this is a really great opportunity for us to to do, to reach out to the dental community and, and tell them about this importance. I actually believe that this is a great legacy for any 
healthcare provider to take part in trying to combat a cancer that is rising. And I truly believe that where advocating is adopted, you will eventually see a decline. Because what we're saying is very logical. We are saying that persistent HPV infection is linked to cancer development. How are you going to identify patients with persistent HPV infection without testing for HPV? It's logical and it is scientifically sound. And it's not any different than what has been done to reduce the incidence of cervical cancer. So great to have you out there and, you know, being such an advocate and and helping those that are most susceptible to be proactive with their health and to get tested and and to pick it up early, detect it early so, you know, they have a high probability of surviving. So really appreciate your work, Dr. Kamal. In terms of how can the listeners and viewers best connect with you? You mentioned the YouTube channel and I'm also uh, we on Facebook and we have a um, account on Instagram. We publish a lot of things about pathology and about uh, HPV testing. We do a lot of things also on GI pathology because that's my specialty. And then uh, coming soon. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'd love to see you out there dancing uh, and doing some of the uh, TikToks. Yeah. Um, moves uh, so to speak yeah, yeah yeah no hopefully hopefully we we do that well and we don't fall on our faces <laughs> you're uh tap dancing in terms of uh you know getting out there and advocating this work and and you're really passionate about what you do so i really appreciate you putting aside the time to you know share your insights with the me and my health up listeners and to the listeners i'll include all those links that Dr. Kamal mentioned uh, in the show notes, so you can go directly to the show notes and get in touch with his pathology lab or his team uh, to get some further you know, support in this area. So uh, thank you, Dr. Kamal. Thank you so much, Anthony, and thank you for all the great work you're doing. And I, uh, I really feel that we are, uh, we're doing, you know, we're sharing a lot of uh, values and we're both uh, advocating for health and advocating for people to be proactive about their health. And I really, I'm very proud to, to be in that profession, but also proud to be in your company. Yeah, all working together in, in the yeah. best interests of a Weller community, essentially. Uh, that's, and I, I loved how you mentioned, you know, that this whole connection with doctors, specialists, uh, dentists, all coming together and, and looking at the whole person. That was really magical to hear that. You know, the thing about it also, uh, pathologists are, are sometimes are forgotten that people, you know, don't know what pathologists do. They think the pathologists do autopsies all the time, and that's what we do. I actually uh, tell people that as a pathologist and my lab as an organization, I say we are not in the business of cancer diagnosis. We are in the business of cancer prevention. And that is really what we do because we we do screening and the screening is to catch cancer early. So this is our, our domain is cancer prevention. Fantastic. I love that, that cancer prevention, be proactive with your health. Fantastic concluding words. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you. Podcast disclaimer. This podcast and any information, advice, opinions, or statements within it do not constitute medical, healthcare, or professional advice and are provided for general information purposes only. All care is taken in the preparation of the information in this podcast. Connected Wellness Proprietary Limited 
operating under the brand MiMi Health Up does not make any representations or give any warranties about its accuracy, reliability, completeness, or suitability for any particular purpose. This podcast and any information, advice, opinions, or statements within it are not to be used as a substitute for professional, medical, psychological, psychiatric, or any other mental health care or health care in general. My Health Up recommends you seek the advice of a doctor or qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Inform your doctor of any changes that you made to your lifestyle and discuss these with your doctor. Do not disregard medical advice or delay visiting a medical professional because of something you hear in this podcast. This podcast has been carefully prepared on the basis of current information. Changes in circumstances after publication may affect the accuracy of this information. To the maximum extent permitted by the law, My Health Up disclaims any such representations or warranties to the completeness, accuracy, merchantability, or fitness for purpose of this podcast and will not be liable for any expenses, losses, damages, incurred indirect or consequential damages or costs that may be incurred as a result of the information being inaccurate or incomplete in any way and for any reason. No part of this podcast can be reproduced, redistributed, published, copied, or duplicated in a form without prior permission of Me and My Health Up.